everyone. Good to see everyone this morning. So we are starting a new series of messages, and uh, I'll explain that as we go this morning. But kind of the theme that I want to talk about this morning is all in. Are, are we all in? And I have the verse here from Luke 11. It's the second part of the verse, but the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and follow it. And uh, I was thinking about, I, I like to, if I get the chance, I like to f- go and travel. And it's always interesting to be in the airplane and look out the window. And you get that 30,000 foot view. And you see all the cars driving around and you can't see the people, right? Because they're too small, but you can see the tractor trailers and stuff. And and I, every time I do that, I just start to think about, you know, here's these little communities and the people there and and how easy it is to get caught up in our routine. You know, I get up in the morning at a certain time, I go to my job, I go here, I go there, I come home, and then I repeat. It's like rinse and repeat. I just keep doing the same thing, and you get into that cycle and it's interesting to me to get up above that and to see the cycle, and it, it, it kind of wakes you up a little bit, and you think, okay, what what am I doing every day? What, like, what what am I doing in this routine that has eternal significance? And uh, I was watching an interview, again, on YouTube, which I spend way too much time watching, uh, but it was an interview with Shannon Sharp. I don't know if you guys know who Shannon Sharp is. He He's in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he was... He was talking with uh, another guy in the NFL Hall of Fame named Chad Johnson. And Chad Johnson asked Shannon Sharp, are you married then? And uh, Shannon said, no. Uh, he said, football was the only thing that mattered to me. And he said, there, there were a lot of women who I dated, but he said, I would ask them, are you okay with being second to football? And he said, a lot of them would say, yeah, yeah. But he said, when they saw how devout I was to football and how it consumed me, they said, you know what, this isn't for me. And he said, the interesting thing is he said, but now I've realized as I've gotten older that all these things that I've done and all that I've accumulated, it doesn't mean anything if I don't have anybody to share it with. And that that points us to the significance of relationships in our lives and how important relationships in fact they're the most important things that really we have in our life and and that's true whether you're an introvert or an extrovert I often joke about I, I, you ever see that show alone where people go out into the wilderness and see who can survive the longest I, I, I often think to myself if I didn't have my family I could probably and if I had the skills to do so like a lot of those people leave because they can't they can't handle being by themselves I feel like that's not something I would struggle with I, I like I'm just not, well, I'm not like those people, like my wife is. She loves to talk to people and it like fuels her. It kind of like drains my battery down and so I need to kind of get by myself and recharge. But, but even then it's important, those relationships are important for all of us. And the most important relationship is with the Lord Jesus. That is the, that is the central relationship that we have to have, uh, in view of our wellness and our eternal, uh, Destination, and and you know it's interesting that there are people who say, well, if you talk to them, they say, well, I have a relationship with God, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, and so they don't really know God, do they? 
Because everything, and, and I, I read this in a David Gooding devotional a couple months ago, and I don't know if I ever really stopped to think about it, but everything that we know or can know about the Father, we know through the Son. And Jesus said in John, uh, well it says in John uh, 1.18, that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He's made Him known. Jesus has made the Father known to us. In Matthew 11:27, we read, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And if you could turn to John 14, because uh, we're going to read a bit from there, but there's another verse like this in John 14. So in John 14, there's that passage where, uh, what is it? Thomas says, Lord, you know, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus says, if you've been with me so long and you don't know that if you know me, you know the Father. And Jesus says, if you come to know me, you will know the Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. That's verse 7. You have seen the Father if you know the Lord Jesus. And and even natural revelation. You say, well, we, you know, it says in, in uh, Romans 1 that we can know all about the, 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 the who God is through what he's created. Well, who created everything? The Son. Created through the Son. So everything that we know about God passes through the Son. That's how we know. And so then the question is, how is our relationship with Him? And first, before anything else, you have to know Him. You know, I could think back to that C.S. Lewis quote, and and Jesus is a, a polarizing figure in our world today as He was when he was walking the earth, what do, what do you do with the Lord Jesus? He, you know, you can't you can't make the claims that he made and do the things that he did and just pass him off as an interesting person or he was a good moral teacher or he was a prophet or you know you know whatever you want to do with Jesus. Like C.S. Lewis said, either he was a, a lunatic going around saying that he was the son of God and that he was equal with the Father and and things like that, or he was a liar. Or he's the Lord. And he proved who he is by raising himself, uh, the Father raised him from the dead, right? I mean, he said that I'm going to be crucified. If the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And he said that you destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up again. That's what happened. Even even his enemies said, you know, let's put a guard there by the tomb because this guy said he was going to rise from the dead. And he did. So what do you do with that? It's, it's different from any other religion. I, you know, you, none of us were in the cave with Muhammad, so whatever happened there, I don't know. But, I mean, or, you know, the Buddha, or whatever, whoever you want to name, but Jesus either rose from the dead or he didn't. That's a historical fact. So what do you do with him? And so, uh, a few verses before John 14, well, the verse before, actually, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's that's an objective fact. I think what what gets confused in our society today is people think that that they can whatever they believe becomes reality in the world. You know, I, I can create my own reality through my thoughts. But either Jesus is the Lord or He's not the Lord, and whatever you think about it has no relevance to that. Either He did what He said, he, either He died and rose again, or He didn't. And whatever you believe is irrelevant. I mean, it's irrelevant to whether or not that happened. It is relevant to you because all of us are going to stand before him one day. 
He is going to be the judge. He says that all judgment has been given by the Father to Him. And so He's either going to judge us for our sins, that says in Revelation that the books will be opened and the dead are judged out of the books what, what they did. Like no word, you have to give an account for every word. And then it, the, the, what the, the real factor was, is your name written in the book of life? And everybody whose name wasn't written in the book of life was cast out into the uh, lake of fire forever and separated from him. But also for us who believe and know him as our Savior, we will stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ to be rewarded for what we've done. And so, so before I start out, my, my point here is that what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the day is for those, who, those of us who know him as our Savior. That's the first and most important thing. If you don't know him as your Savior, that needs to come before any of this other stuff. But if you know him, and if you are a believer, then this verse that I have up here comes into focus for us. It says, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body, in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. And then in Romans 14.12 it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So I, I want you to uh, just take a moment. You don't have to sh- share this out. But on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, are you all in? How would you rate your devotion, your, your sold-outness to the Lord Jesus? Think about that. What would you give yourself if you were scoring yourself on, am I all in? Am I kind of in? Am I half in? Am I in when it's convenient? Am I all in? It's interesting when the, the, in the book of Revelation, it says in uh, Revelation 3.14, and the angel of the church in Laodicea, many people think that that's describing the church at the end of the age. It says, this is what the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says, this is what the Lord Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. Cold water is refreshing. Hot water is good when you're cold. Lukewarm water is not good. And he says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'm not advocating gambling, but it makes the point. Are we all in? I was listening to the radio the other night, and uh, I don't know who came up with this. Janet Parshall said it, and it, it stuck with me. She said, will we be found faithful, or will we hide our faith so that we will not be found? It's becoming more and more relevant, isn't it? It's getting harder to hide. Are we going to hide our faith, or and are we going to be faithful and be found? The Lord Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But also we read, he says to his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? The, the thing that kind of got me on this whole topic, uh, a few weeks ago we went to this uh, retreat, and the speaker at the retreat showed this YouTube clip. You, you can watch it. It's uh, from Francis Chen, and the title of it is How Not to Make Disciples. So if you want to look it up and see his rendition. Uh, that's where it's at. But he showed that, and you know, sometimes something just hits you, and you're like, 
and the, the gist of it, I'll try to re- recreate it. He, he's talking about the game Simon Says. You know, when you're a little kid, you do the Simon Says. Simon Says, put your hand in your head. Put your hand in your head. Simon Says, put your arm out. Simon Says, put your leg out. You know, touch your chest. Oh, Simon didn't say. And so he said, uh, in the church, Jesus said is a totally different game. Because he said, if Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. He said, you study it, you memorize it. But a lot of things that we do in the church, he said, they don't really make any sense. He says, when Jesus tells us to go make disciples, how many people in the church are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. And then he talks about, he uses his daughter, I don't know what his daughter's name is, but I'll use one of my daughters, Hannah. It's like if I go to Hannah and I say, Hannah, go clean your room. And so she goes away, and a few minutes later she comes back to me and she says, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, Hannah, go clean your room. And she says, hey, I can say it in Greek. We're going to have a study, we're all going to get together, and we're going we're gonna to study what it would look like if I cleaned my room. And he said, that's, that's sort of what we do in the church. And I thought, wow, that's true, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of truth to that. If we, you, hopefully you have your Bible to John 14. Look at uh, verse 12. I just want to read from 12 down to, down to 24. Verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it it does not see him or know him. Again, that's the, the primary importance, that we know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while... The world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, not just has them, and keeps them, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will, some translations say follow, mine says he will keep my word. And the Father will love him and and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, but the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Notice how many times the Lord Jesus repeats that. If you love me, you will keep my words. So then I was thinking, okay, what? That that's all well and good, and we all would ascribe to that. Why don't we do it? I mean, and I should say this. Why don't I do it? Because this is more to me than anybody. And I thought, well, there's four general categories. First of all, there's sin. 
We're admonished in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses, in Hebrews 11, surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. We get entangled by sin. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then in John 8.12 said, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And I was thinking, is there an area... Probably a lot of them. Is there an area in our life that we feel that God is shining a light on? But we don't want to change it. That happens a lot, right? We like that. We, we say, well, you know what? I, I deserve that. I feel entitled to that. Like, I do a lot of other stuff and like, I, I like this one thing in my life, so I kind of want to keep that thing. But yet, we call Him Lord. Which doesn't really make sense. I was thinking about, uh, Scott used this analogy a lot. The, the dishwasher, when you open the dishwasher, what's the first thing you, you think or ask? If anybody else is around, I should say. If you live by yourself, you kind of already know the answer to this question. <laughs> but if, there's, if you live with other people, you open the dishwasher and you say, is this clean? Are these clean? Because if they're not clean, you don't want to use them. At least you want to wash them first. And it says in 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, from wickedness, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So there's sin. There's the world. In Mark 4, 18 and 19, Jesus is giving that parable of the sower and the seed. And he says, And others are the ones sown with seed among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That can happen to believers too, can it? That's the 30,000 foot view. We can get so caught up in the thing, it's the, I heard someone describe it once as the tyranny of the urgent. I think, think that describes our DNA very well. The tyranny of the urgent. Someone texted me, I gotta get back to him. You know, back in the day when we didn't have text messages and things like that if you got back to somebody after a few days that was pretty good you know I try to follow the 24 hour rule someone emails me I try to respond within 24 hours but even that it, like we have to I have to do this I have to like how much of this stuff in our life do we really have to do and then it, like it says the, the, the deceitfulness of wealth and you know it's been said comparison is the thief of joy it's easy to look around and say, wow, someone's like, look what I'm doing. Even even service for the Lord, we can get distracted, right? Look what I look at all the things I'm doing. I wish somebody else would do some stuff, carry some weight. Fixing our eyes on Him, it says. Let's run the race. Satan. I think it's a, a true statement that the more effective you are, the more attention you draw from the adversary. I think of it in like sports analogy. If somebody's not a threat to score, I'm not spending all week game planning against them. Because like, if they can beat me, then so be it. But like, I don't really think they're going to be able to do that. So I think it's the same spiritually. When we when we become a vessel that's usable and start being used, 
Then the enemy wants to derail that, doesn't he? It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Satan wants to hinder our work. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And boy, I see that clear, more clear now than ever in my life. I mean, you just look at what's going on in the world, and you see the spiritual forces in high places directing what's happening around us. And then finally, fear. And of all these, I feel like this one, this one affects maybe more of us than any, but it really is the one that should affect us the least, I think. It doesn't really make any sense. We're, we're petrified by what our coworkers might think about us. By what our friends might say. By what our family might, like, they might, they might give me a bad look. They, they might, they might not want to, like, hang out with me or whatever. And Jesus, uh, well, Peter says, uh, there is, it says, uh, sorry, First Peter three thirteen fifteen. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So that that's the key of this verse. That's the thing that has to come first. Remember, it's that relationship. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. When we do that. His opinion is really the only opinion that matters. It doesn't really matter what they think about me. Right? It says, it says that we should count it all joy when we suffer for Him. But we only count it as joy if we've sanctified Him as Lord in our hearts. If that's really the only thing that matters, then whatever else they say, it just water off the duck's back. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And the battle's real. I think that's something else that I struggle with. It's easy to walk through life and think about, like, oh, yeah, here we are down the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, down our way, and someday the Lord's coming back, and it's, it's all well and good. But, but we're in a war. Do we take that seriously? And the battle's every day. Every morning we wake up, the battle's there. But yet the Lord Jesus says, that we should come to him because his yoke he says uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and as a believer I think we you know you hope that you've counted the cost already you know you think of the parable of the, the rich young ruler who comes to the Lord Jesus and he says you know what do I have to do that I may have eternal life and Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. He says, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done all that. He says, all right, well then, take everything you have and sell it and follow me. And he counted the cost. And he said he went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. But you can't take that with you. And it says in uh, Philippians 3, Paul writes, whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
there's that. It, see, it keeps coming back to the same thing, doesn't it? If you love me, it's that relationship. If you love me, how much we do for the Lord, how useful we are to Him, no matter what you say, it really comes back to the same thing. How much do you love me? And that, that, you know, think back to Peter when he sees the Lord Jesus on the beach after his resurrection and he says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? We could say the same thing. Do you love me? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God upon faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. In Matthew 10, I'm not going to read this all, uh, but if you take a look at this later this week, when he's sending out his disciples and he tells them what's going, what they're going to face, uh, just a couple of verses, it says in verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Verse 22, he says, And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master, because they hated him, they'll hate us. Verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for an assertion, a sarian, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 37, he who, loves the, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Can you imagine being one of the disciples being sent out by the Lord and listening to that? I, I, I've been watching the Chosen show. I don't know if you've seen it, but they depict this scene in that, and I think they did a nice job because, like, it's. It, I think we, when I read it, I read knowing the whole gospel story, but you have to think, like, these guys were just kind of getting started, and the, and the Lord Jesus is like, all right, I'm sending you out, and they, they don't know what we know. You know, they don't have the, the rest of the New Testament and all that stuff. And so they're just like, and he's saying all these things to you, and you're like, what? But God isn't going to ask us to do something that we can't do. And and remember that we're not doing this. We can't do it in our own strength. We read before that he's given us the, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who abides in us and enables us to live the victorious Christi- Christian life. But here's the, the key thing. I think the capacity to do, the capacity to do should be growing as we grow in our knowledge and in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Think about that. Our capacity to do should increase as we become more conformed to the likeness of His Son. And think about the, the difference between the disciples before the resurrection and after the resurrection. Now here are these guys that, that make and some of the bold statements that they said 
and then Jesus gets arrested and crucified, and they're locked, they have the door locked, and they're hiding in the room. But then when they see the risen Christ, it's a, it's a game changer, a whole different game. They're standing out in Jerusalem and saying, you know, if you need to arrest me, arrest me. I can't deny what I saw. I can't deny what I know. I can't deny who he is. It's, but see, what, what changed? Their relationship and their knowledge of him. And then the capacity to, to be used by him increased. I, I, I keep watching, uh, among, among the many things that I waste my time watching, I was watching these interviews with all these like Delta Force, Navy SEAL guys and stuff. And what's interesting is that they all uh, go get like extra training. They go to these certification schools. They get like sniper certification or field medic certification. And the more certifications, and why do they do this? Because they say, I want to become more of an asset on the battlefield. The more of these certifications and trains that I have, the more dangerous I am in the field. And it's sort of the same that, that's true for us. Uh, in our Christian life, we need to be equipped for service. Mike and I were talking about, like, that's, that's the function of the, the local church, to equip us. This is sort of like sniper school, right? You come and you learn and you, you become equipped, but then you don't just stay in sniper school. You have to get out onto the field of battle and use the training that you have to be effective. It's a, it's a spiritual combat training facility, if you want to think about it like that. You know, and we do care for the, the sick and, and it's like a field hospital and all those other things, analogies that you could make of the local church. But ultimately, we're here to equip for service so that we can be good ambassadors for our captain. Now, uh, I have not served in the military. The only field of combat that I have served on is the football field. And uh, I was thinking about what happens when we don't keep the commands of our captain. Uh, one time when I was a uh, senior in high school, we were playing at Pottsville, and uh, our coach would throw the ball maybe like four or five times a game. On a, on a good day. We just ran the ball all the time. And we were down quite a bit at halftime. And the call comes in. There's like 30 seconds left. And the call comes in, 42 trap, which is an inside run. So we're all in the huddle. And, and, a, and I, I was one of the people. I was like, change the call. Throw it. Throw it down the field. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, change the call. Change the call. So the quarterback's like, should I? I'm like, yeah, yeah, call something else. Like, let's at least try to score before halftime. So we changed the call. Wow. Halftime was very interesting. <laughs> and he learned, a, he learned a hard lesson. Uh, don't listen to your teammates because he didn't play the rest of the game. Started certain quarterback. Uh, but it also reminded me of a quote from, another quote from David Gooding. Uh, he says, we cannot be his disciples on the understanding that he will first explain to us in detail what he would like us to do and why, and then leave us free to decide on each occasion whether we like the, his demands or not, or whether we consent to them. That would be to treat Christ not as Lord, but merely as a professional advisor or as one business person treats another. If we really believe that he is the Supreme Lord, we shall do what he says just because he says it. You know, like my kids all the time. Why? why? And it's the the re response that every adult has given to a child at least once in your life. Because I said so. That's why. You don't need any any teacher, any adult. Like why not? Why, why can't I do this? Because I said so. Right. It's the same with the Lord. 
Whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not, what does our profession of faith amount to if we call him Lord, Lord, and then do not do what he says? The difference is we know that he loves us and that he's omniscient, that he knows the end from the beginning, and that it says that he works all to get all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the, the series that we're starting is about the commands of Jesus. So there's 18 different uh, commands. There's, there's more than this in the Gospels, but uh, we kind of lump these together uh, that we're going to go through. And the challenge is, do we do these things? Like Now, obviously, the first one is repent and believe. And so, like I said, that's the most important. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't know him. So the first and most important thing is, do you know him? Do you have a saving relationship with him? But once we do that, then the next command is, follow me. Do we follow him? And then the, on through the whole list. And then the last one on the list is to go and make disciples, which we should all be doing. So, uh, another verse, this is from First John 2. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So there's the fruit. So as believers, we should be able to go down this list and say, do I do this? And we should be able to say, yeah, I do. Do I forgive people? Because he forgave me. Do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I, do I, don't worry about my life? What other people say or those types of things? Do I trust God? And so on and so on. So what, what's our motivation as disciples, as believers? Obviously it's the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I got uh, this, Keith Kaiser emailed this to me a couple of weeks ago. This is from Spurgeon. He says, you shall measure the height of his love if it be ever measured by the depth of his grief, if that can ever be known. See with what a price he hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. As you see this, say to yourself, what manner of people ought we to be? What measure of love ought we to return to the one who bore the utmost penalty that we might be delivered from the wrath to come? I do not profess that I can dive into this depth, into this deep. I will only venture to the edge of the precipice and bid you look down and pray the Spirit of God to concentrate your mind upon this lamentation of our dying Lord as it rises up through the thick darkness. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So the, the, the kind of goal of this series is to encourage us all that we're not just hearers. I think one of the things about the, like, the way we meet is that there's a lot of knowledge in the room. We know the Bible. We preach the Word. That's good. That's what we should be doing as a, a place to equip the saints. But it can't stop there. We have to, we have to at some point, we can't just be looking down at the 30,000 foot view. At some point we gotta get out of the plane. Right? That's faith. Do you have faith in the parachute? Not to just sit there and say like, yep, if I jumped out of here, this would definitely save me. But to jump out. Uh, I have another missionary friend who you all know that I won't name. 
But they said to me, it's interesting, when they get on the plane to go back to the field, immediately the, the focus changes and they start thinking about who can I share the word of God with and who can I witness to and how can I be able to help to this person and who can I you know, talk to and stuff. But, but they said, well, why is it that when I get home and, and here in the States, that mentality shifts? And they said, I think it's because I think that I'm home. But this isn't my home. So that mentality should be there all the time. Not just when I'm out on the job as a missionary. And we think about what the Lord Jesus said in uh, Matthew 7 when he talks about he who hears my word and does it is like the one who builds his house on the rock. And he contrasts that to the person who builds their house in the sand. And we think about if we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, we want our whole neighborhood to be built on the rock, don't we? We should. I don't want my house to be built on the sand. I shouldn't want my neighbor's house to be built on the sand either. So what do I have to do? I have to tell them, hey, you're building your house in the sand. You should be building your house in the rock. Now, I, I want to end this. This all sounds well and good, right? It's Sunday morning, we're here at church. Yeah. And then Monday morning we wake up. And we go back into the routine. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's work called The Weight of Glory. If you haven't, I would recommend it. Uh, I just want to end with the last, like, his parting, his ending stand, a couple stanzas here from this book. It, it, it's really convicting. He says, Meanwhile the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. A cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of the world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. The following him is, of course, the essential part, the essential point. That being so, it may be asked what practical use there is in the speculations which I have been indulging in. He's thinking about the glories of heaven. He says, I think I can think of at least one such use. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should cons- we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom, with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. 
we must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner, no mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in, an almo- in almost the same way, for in him also Christ very lactate, the glorifier and the glorified. God, glory himself, is truly hidden. What, what's his point there? His point is that like the people that we interact with, they are all eternal souls. I think about like uh, somebody that's very close to my wife and I one time called me because they were very concerned. They, they, they actually brought a gate over because we have a wood stove in the living room and they were concerned that the kids were going to trip or fall and land on the wood stove and get burnt. And I, I really didn't want the gate in my living room, so I said, well, I'm not going to put the gate up because we teach the kids that the stove is hot and we don't run and jump in that room and all that sort of stuff. And they, they were sort of like, I can't, I don't understand why you wouldn't put this gate up. That doesn't make any sense to me. And this person is not a believer. And I said, well, at the same time, it, it's hard for me to see somebody who's so worried about something that might not happen, but when you're presented with something that's definitely going to happen, you don't give it a thought. You don't worry about it. Like, you, you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You, like, you may be eternally separated from Him today. You're like on the precipice of a lost eternity. And that's, think about all the people that we interact with. All the people that we come into contact with every day, the people we work with, the people we go to school with. And the last command is, go and make disciples. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's that's the, the idea behind this series of messages. To prompt us, to, to kind of motivate us, to take what we know, what we're equipped with, and put it into action. Right? To go and make disciples. To go and be the light of the world the salt and all these things that we're supposed to be, to, to really be sold out for the Lord Jesus. So let's close in a word of prayer. God and Father, we thank you for the great love that you have shown to us in sending your Son. We pray that everybody here would truly know him as their Lord and Savior, that they would have a saving relationship with him. But for those of us who do know him as our Lord and Savior, we pray that uh, our relationship with you would be deepened, that we would continually be uh, reminded of the depth of your love, which it says that we may know the depth of your love, which is uh, beyond knowing. And that that love that you have for us would motivate us to want to please you. And as you said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That we would uh, take these things seriously. That we would be uh, clean vessels and useful for your honor and glory. That we could be the... Uh, tool of choice uh, in, the, in the hand of the master craftsman, that we could be uh, usable and effective for you. We pray that, that you would uh, bless this gathering of saints, Lord, that we would be uh, a light in the dark world for you. 
We just thank you again for all those who are here. We thank you now for our time of fellowship and for the food that's been prepared. Pray that you would bless it to our bodies and uh, bless our time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.